I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. So it's Thursday. I get excited about Thursday. Everybody on the podcast knows, and hopefully I don't get sick of me saying that because, I mean, Thursday is a day that we are here for you. So I am here today with somebody who is fly. Y'all will see why later. But I have Cesar Margarito. Margarito. Did I say it right? Did I do it right Perfect. this time? Perfect. I was look. I was, I was working on it. I was working on it. So, so I really, I really, I really do. I love it though, and I love the cultural tongue that you have to put behind, like you know, rolling for your R's and, and when you say names that are you know like yours. Not trying to be funny with that, but this is really cool. But Cesar. Uh, my new friend who was out in California, we're talking about the weather again. You know, we talk a lot about the weather on the show, but weather can tell you a lot about a place and it, it, you know, helps shape experiences. But I don't want to talk too long. I want to let Cesar tell you who he is and about all of the amazing, amazing things that he has been doing. So Cesar, take it away. How are you, friend? Oh, good morning. I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's definitely a pleasure to, to be here and share a little bit about my, my, my story, which I mean, listening to your podcast, you know, it, uh, I think I got some big shoes to fill, you know, I've had some amazing people in the, in the, in the past. So I can kind of live up to that, to that trend. So thank you so much for, for having me, but I'm, I'm good. I'm good. As you say, I'm, I'm in California and Southern California to be exact. And, uh, fortunately haven't been affected too much by the earthquakes. They've been mm, a little bit further good. away from where I'm at. My family and friends in the area, you know, fortunately have been okay. It's definitely a, a wake up call for sure. Mm. Be ready and prepare and Actually, a friend of mine who I'm actually visiting this week, uh, he's got his earthquake kits ready right by his door. So it's a good reminder for me to get my get mine started. So. Yeah, you might want to do that, friend. And, you know, and I was saying a few minutes ago, I'm really fascinated by weather because you can't control weather. Correct. There are so many things that we can't control in life, but we can't control weather. And weather often causes you to have to adapt, be it that it's cold or that it's hot. You have to, you know, an earthquake is happening, a tsunami, a hurricane. Like these things change our lives and it could happen within a blink of an eye. We had some pretty tough weather come through North Carolina last night. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got a little scared for a moment. I was like, what is going on? And but it passed, thankfully. So, yeah. But um, fun that you're in Southern California. How long have you been there? I've been down here. It'll be three years this October. So it's gone by fast. I actually grew up up north central California, uh, Monterey County to be exact, in a little tiny town called Chular, California. Most people have never heard of it. So any Chularians listen to this, you know, shout out to you. <laughs> but it's a very small agricultural town in the southern part of Monterey County, which most people are familiar with Monterey. They think Henry Rowe, Fisherman's Wharf, all of that stuff. You know, hmm. um, John Steinbeck, you know, wrote a lot about that area. Mm, so a lot of people okay, okay. have that idea in mind. And I grew up more in the agricultural side away from the tourists. But I was originally born and raised in, in Mexico, a uh, small town in, in, in central Mexico, and moved to the U.S. when I was about 10 years old. And that's the area that I grew up in before uh, going off to college and starting my, my college career. 
Interesting. So just curious, being that you were born and raised until 10 in Mexico and you came here, how was that transition for you? Well, definitely, you know, at that age, you know, going into middle school, at the end of fifth grade, and then my school was very unique in that it had uh, first through eighth grade in the same same facility, all right? So small classrooms, but at that age, you know, kids can be a little bit cruel mm. coming into to a new country, for sure, a new educational system, which was the reason why our parents moved me and my three siblings. I'm, I'm the mm. third of four children. Learning the language was, you know, certainly the, the biggest obstacle, but uh, oddly enough, I, I think I was able to pick it up relatively quickly. So I came in towards the end of fifth grade, and by the time sixth grade rolled around, I wouldn't say I was fluent, but I understood, you know, things very well. And, and growing up a very timid kid, it was the speaking aspect that I was very hesitant about through actually most of my career, even though I was, I was fluent. Whenever I was put in any kind of formal setting to speak, especially you know, in front of the classroom, even though I, I knew everybody in, in the room, I was always timid because I was very self-conscious about, you know, the accent that I may have and, you know, how I kind of presented myself. So that was probably the biggest challenge to be able to acclimate to new city, new people, certainly the language as well, and, you know, the occasional bully here and there. And mm-hmm. it happens, you know, but fortunately, you know, it was, it was nothing that, that was, was major, you know, I, I was able to outgrow and, and adjust, you know, uh, okay over time. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, the idea of acclimating and adjusting to being here. Was college something that was always on the brain? Because I think sometimes college is one of the, the American dream kind of things, mm-hmm. like you should aspire for education. But I know college is big everywhere, but just here we really, really have this thing about go to college, go to college, everybody should go to college. What was that like for you? It was definitely that. I mean, that's definitely the reason why so my parents were migrant field workers. So they, mm. growing up, you know, they, we went back and forth. Um, so technically, I, I was born in Mexico, but two weeks after I was born, we moved to the States again. And I was here for my first five years of my life. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and then we went back to Mexico when I was five. And I was there from five to ten. Right. And then moved back. And all the while, especially my dad and, and uh, sometimes my brother during the summers, they would go back and forth to, to work, right? But the reason my, my parents made a decision to move permanently to the U.S. was because they saw education as one of the primary and best ways for us to, to have a better life than they did. Mm. So that was the driving force. So it was always, you know, there wasn't a, a doubt that uh, I was going to go off to college, you know, but it was a very general idea. I mean, obviously, my parents being farm workers, field, field workers, they they knew about college and they knew that was it, but they, they didn't speak the language. They didn't know the the process, and obviously, they couldn't help us navigate the system. Mm-hmm. So, so aside from okay, you're you're going to go to college, that was really it. I mean, even the homework that we had while I was in you know middle school, high school, there was only limited assistance that they could provide. You know, if, if any, and after a certain point, you know, there wasn't much. But it was that driving force, and I'm definitely, you know, proud to say that, you know, all four of us did, did go on to college. Three of us are in education. My my older brother, he's he's the oddball. He went to engineering, so he went <laughs> a, a very different route. Uh, but right. you know, the, he's very, very successful in, in his field as well, as well as my other sister. You know, they're still in, in education. They both went the elementary teacher route, so that's kind of what they've been doing since since graduation. But uh, yeah, we're all products of California's public institutions. Mm. My sisters graduated from UCs, UC Santa Cruz, UC Davis. Both my brother and I graduated from another state school, California State University or Cal Poly in, in San Luis Obispo. 
So we were at the same school, but we were not there at the same time just because of the age gap. But again, the driving force was, was my parents and, and saying, okay, you're going to college, you're going to go through. And even while in college, you know, they, they didn't really know what it was like. So it's kind of hard for them to really hold us accountable. And I'm speaking for myself because, you know, being first gen, you're figuring out things for yourself for the first time. Right. And fortunately for me, I I feel fortunate to have gone to community college first to kind of do a little bit of growing up and maturing. And selfishly, I, I wanted to play soccer. So I was able to, to be part of the, the soccer team at that institution after the years that I was there. So it kind of helped me get a little bit more focused before transferring on to the university that I did. But even then, it was another transition that I go through because kind of like when I came here at 10 years old, I found myself in a different environment with people I didn't know. So the area that I grew up in, Monterey County, the high school that I went to and the community college that I went to was very homogeneous in the sense that the majority of the student population and the population in the area was primarily Latino, primarily Mexican, which is a big, big influence. And then when I went off to university at, at San Luis Obispo, it was primarily white. And mm, being wow. a, a history major and a psychology major, most of my classes, I was the only or one of a few persons of color in those classrooms, as well as, as the institution. Over two thirds of the student population are, are white. Mm. So definitely being a, a student of color, you you feel that, right? So you try to gravitate towards that, that sense of community that you can find. And fortunately, it took me a while, but I was fortunate enough to, to eventually find one. And to this day, you know, they're some of my closest friends that, that I still keep in touch with. But still making that transition and, and going through that, again, going back to my parents, there wasn't a whole lot they can do is, you know, most of it, uh, the questions that I got asked were, you know, how is school going? And it was very easy for me to brush off with, a, oh, you know, everything's fine. But all the while, you know, I was on academic probation. Wow, you seriously. Know? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> and I don't say that with a sense of pride, but... It just kind of speaks to the lack of information and how easy it can be when parents in, aren't fully informed to really hold students accountable because mm. it took me on my word, you know, which I appreciate and trusted. And, and if they listen to this eventually, they're going to give me a hard time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cesar, how dare you? <laughs> how exactly. dare you? Why'd you, like, you? You told us a story. No, I, I did it. I'm okay. Oh, That's funny. I survived. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but, 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 but it did. And, and you know, it, I'm not proud of it, but it was something that, you know, the, the environment was part of it. And the other was just the transitioning. And uh, it wasn't out like I was out partying and socializing, all those things. But it was just something where I was in, again, focused. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of get back into it in that way. But, you know, that's honest. And while not proud of the challenge that you had, it's real. It's, it's very transparent of you. So thank you for sharing that because there may be a young man much like yourself who just needed to hear it and who's going through it now and can be inspired by it because I think our truth is what helps other people to figure out that they can move on, to know that they can move on and get through some of what they have going on in their lives. So thank you for that because that's a lot to say, you know, to put that out there about yourself because on the flip side, you're now working on a doctorate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so, so something happened, right? Something went well. You figured something out that you've continued to aspire for more. Something changed. So that's hope. I mean, that's what I really love about the story. And let me say this. I am so fascinated by the fact that all four of you went to school. 
kudos to each of you for figuring that thing out. But then for three of you to be in education. So how ironic to come here for education, you know, as a, as a way for better life. And then for you all to end up in education, like that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Education changed lives. And it seems even apparent that the work of the people who helped you along the way, professors and staff may have done something to you for you to even want to be in those environments, which is really cool. But I, I mean, even saying that, what was it that made you go ahead and move forward in working in higher education because you've been in it for 15 years at least? At least, yes. So I, I, I graduated in 2002. And since then, I, I worked for a couple of nonprofits in between, but it's primarily been working at uh, higher ed institutions. And uh, oddly enough, I ended up working for the university that I graduated from for about 12 years. Mm. So majority of my professional experience has been at that institution. So I, I think it was a driving force in me really being passionate about working with the population that I did. I started off with a TRIO program, Educational Talent Search, which was at the time the first time that the university had received that program when it first started. Mm -hmm. So I was part of the team to be able to create that infrastructure and and do outreach in the local community for junior high and high school students and, and promote higher ed. And then eventually I moved on to, once I finished my master's, to a position as director of another TRIO program, uh, Student Support Services, working with Cal Poly students on campus. And I think that's really what solidified my work for this population and, and that particular age group, if you will. I enjoyed working with junior high and high school students, but having that relationship with adults, you know, and, and they're really on the cusp of achieving, you know, their lifelong dream of getting a higher ed- education. It, to me, it just it felt more of a calling to be at, at that point. So I'm glad that I was able to, to focus that. But I think to your earlier point, I, might, I always knew that I wanted to do education. But taking a step back, I think part of it had to do with my parents and I think a lot of first-gen parents. There's limited information that they have as far as career options. You know, you have your traditional doctor, teacher, lawyer, you know, police, you know, whatever. So I think that was part of it, right? Where, okay, this is kind of a lane that you might want to go into because, you know, education is a great path. It's a steady job, right? Which, you know, that can, that can be debatable depending on, on what aspect of education you work in. But I think that was part of it. But I think once I got into it, you know, I, I originally wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a history teacher, which is why I'm undergrad in, in history. And then once I saw my older sister actually be a teacher, I saw the additional work that I never saw as a student that teachers do, right? Uh, I'm not doing that. There's a better efficient way for me to make a difference in in students. So so I wanted to be a counselor, right? And I think my first job as an outreach counselor, right, with junior high and high school students gave me a little bit of of that. But also being in, in high schools and district offices, it really kind of opened up my eyes to the administrative side of it, where that's really what drives decisions. And then once I transitioned over to the director of, of that program, Student Support Services, as an administrator, it, it really gave me that opportunity to enforce, not necessarily enforce, but create, you know, along with my team, a vision of, of how to support students. And uh, I mean, I, I oversaw that program for almost 10 years. And mm. you know, I was blessed to have you know, great dedicated people along the way both from student assistants, graduate assistants, you know, the staff that was there as well. And obviously it wasn't a perfect situation, a perfect setting, but keeping the ultimate goal in mind of how can we best serve our students. And I think, you know, year after year, the program improved and we were to provide a better experience each and every year as we made those improvements. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that's something that has kind of 
had a common thread of education and how to support students, which wanted me to kind of keep going and, and be part of it even more. So the mm-hmm. positions that I've, that I've moved on since then have always been, you know, in education, some kind of administrative niche to it. And even the position that I'm just recently took, transitioned over to, it gives me that possibility to be able to, to shape the student experience from an advising standpoint. So I'm a, right now a senior academic advisor at a small private college in, in Pasadena where they're looking to kind of restructure the advising experience, you know, for their students. So there's a lot of potential for, for growth and creation of different initiatives and programming, which I'm very excited about because, again, I can work with my team and other individuals on campus to be able to shape that student experience. Mm. I love that you have been able to find your thing and that you've had success, that even you being in a career for as long as you were, that's something that is promising, especially for those of us who are first generation and are doubting our professional paths. You are an example that we can find our fit and find our thing and, and succeed in that. So thank you for that reminder. And then to you for working in trio programs, hats off to you, friend. Because I know that that is hard work and it requires a lot of energy and patience and creativity and to be giving back, like you said, to the very individuals who were once, you know, where you were Mm -hmm. or who are once where you were. Um, It's it's really amazing to me. And I know outside of education, you have some other really cool projects going on. And there's one in particular that I want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And it just and I don't know why it just like the, the fly socks. And I'm like, oh, fly. <laughs> F-L-I. Because that and I'm like, I think I suppose I have gotten that. But tell us about fly socks, because <laughs> I have been so fascinated with it, you know, since our first conversation. But yeah, it is first year low income. Like, I don't know why. I just <laughs> That is so funny that I was just like, yeah, OK. All right. But yeah, so tell us about that. Well, I'm glad that you're able to get the, the right pronunciation. One of my friends who's not in education you know he's, he's in architecture he's like hey what's up with his flea socks I'm like flea no no it's so so yeah so so I, i've been playing around with this idea for for a while now and uh you know hearing about other companies that have other you know social causes attached to them started thinking like well what, what is it something that i can do to be able to do that and, and what i was seeing around were, I mean, there's a lot of philanthropic efforts, certainly by individuals and foundations mm-hmm. and, and that support education. And it's amazing, right? The more support that we can provide, the better. But as far as with some of these companies and other corporations, a lot of the support was going outside of the U.S. You know, if you buy certain shoes, they give a, shoes to a kid somewhere in a different country or donate water somewhere else, you know, just different initiatives. And, and, you know, and that's great. You know, anytime that we can improve somebody else's lives in a different way, I'm all for that. But being in education, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And a few years ago, I, well, I think it was right around the time that I moved to, to LA, started to kind of spice up my wardrobe a little bit. And, and you know, uh, with men, there's very few ways that we can accessorize. And, and, and some gentlemen out there will, will debate you know, on that, absolutely. But there's very few things that we can do. So one of the things I started doing was wearing these kind of, you know, funky socks, right? Different colors and patterns and things like that. So along with that, I started reading about these companies with social causes and, and reading about other ones as well that, that have special passion projects on the side. So I figured, well, 
you know, I'm going to buy these anyway. You know, why not? What if other people are into this as well? And, you know, looking at the trends, you know, people are, if you look at the industry. But if I can create something that would support, you know, first generation low income students, you know, why not do that? So after thinking about it for a while, you know, I decided with a name being very intentional and not shy. And that's the reason why I kind of wanted to, to people to really own that identity and, and not be shy, you know, about yes. their first generation uh, identity. I figured, well, you know, uh, there was another acronym, you know, FGLI, which is also very common in higher ed for first gen low income. And there's this FLY acronym as well. So, you know, thinking about using that word in, in different contexts and, and, and different meanings, you know, there's the slang for it as well. So I'm like, okay, well, fly socks sounds like a you know great thing. And I want it to be something that's fashionable, that's you know comfortable as well, and for people to wear and be proud and, and really kind of own that identity. So over the last year or so, I started making more progress. And early this year, I decided to kind of really jump into the deep end and, and go for it. So I established an LLC mm. called Stuff with a Purpose. It's the name of the company. Mm. And as part of that is this concept of, of fly socks. So my inaugural design, as, as you've seen, it's, it's a very basic design, which is a solid background, and it has little graduation caps you know, all throughout. So from afar, they kind of look like diamonds or, or polka dots. But when you get a closer look, you know, you actually see that they're graduation caps. So the first five colors or five designs that I have, four of the five are for school colors that I've gone to between elementary school and, and graduate school. So I want to kind of put that personal touch. And uh, I debuted the idea at a conference in mid-June, I don't in Orlando through the NASPA Association and received tremendous support and wonderful feedback and a lot of people were excited by it. So now from that, a lot of institutions now uh, expressed interest in customizing that design in their own school's color schemes, mm. which is great. And it wasn't something that originally, again, being a first-time entrepreneur, that, that I was thinking of different aspects because I was more focused on growing the brand and having different mainstream styles, if you will, and just using this as kind of launching pad to be able to kind of grow the business. But now it's given me a different avenue to a different population to be able to have this particular design work with the university in this way and still, you know, with the goal to still grow the company and have more traditional designs and, and more modern and sophisticated designs beyond just graduation caps. So it's been a, a great response. I just recently had my first bulk order placed through uh, nice, the University nice. of Pennsylvania to shout out to them and their support. Uh, and I have a, a few other ones in the pipeline. But the mission of this is to use profits, you know, after production costs and overhead and all those different things, but to use everything else to establish the scholarship. So my goal is to have this out as early as next spring. And I'm already working with a scholarship administrator to be able to do that. Well, they'll, have, they'll create the application, do the recruiting and the screening and selection. And all I'm giving them is obviously the funds, but also the criteria you know, for that. And it's going to be, you know, students have to be first generation, low income. And also knowing that students who are DACA recipients have limited resources, financial resources, I also want to make it available to them. So that's kind of the direction mm -hmm. that, you know, FlySox is going. I'm still growing and, and um, you know, as a first-time business or I'm growing as well in that sense. You know, I'm, I'm learning everything from website development to just business lingo and financial planning, you know, for businesses and all those different things. So. I, I'm definitely learning and uh, growing in, in that aspect and appreciate all the advice that I've, I've been given up until now from some of the consultants I'm working with, you know, friends who've been in the industries for, for, for quite a while, 
and just, you know, random business owners that I've had conversations with, especially, you know, mom and pop shops and kind of what drives them and, and kind of any advice that I can clean for them. So it's been a great amount of support that I've gotten over the last few months as this kind of gets off the ground a little bit more. Man, round of applause to you. This is just so cool. I, I'm always fascinated. And this is one of the coolest efforts that I've heard of, especially coming from a first-gen, low-income individual, from a man, from a man of color, to do all of these things. So to just really pull yourself up and get out there and just say, I'm going to do this and to have that confidence. And then to think that you've already placed your first book order with a major institution. Just keep going. That's just what it is because entrepreneurship, I'm sure, is still a very interesting space to navigate or has been an interesting space to navigate. And I speak on that from the first gen low income perspective as well. And having a business similar to yours that a certain percentage of my profits goes back into our community as well in the form of scholarships or grants or hardship. So to know that this was so intentional and so purposeful, really one of those very exciting things because social entrepreneurship is on the rise and it's important for us to not just be about the money and to be about purpose and that you've done this is very innovative and the socks like who'd have thought <laughs> i mean you did of course i mean you're a man because i mean for me i i just like to buy my husband socks because i like for him to look fly um i didn't even think about it until i did it just now so and yeah so and so that's you know very between that and neckties and then for you to say let's do socks instead because socks are style um I, i'm the kind of woman i look at a man's socks especially when he's dressed because i'm like where's your flavor so that you did that is really really cool say sorry it's really really cool so shout out to you for that so just curious just where you are now because you have your business going you you know transition into you know your position where you are now you started a doctoral program what else is is next for you what's coming up what are you hoping for for the next you know five to ten years to come well you know i think you know keep growing the the business you know for one and then finding other opportunities where i can be of service to others you know whether that's in, in different positions eventually or through collaborating with other individuals or organizations you know i, I want to keep going in this direction I, I think it's definitely been a calling and a blessing to be able to to get to this point and, and certainly having challenges along the way but i think like you said earlier you know it's important to to share our story and that's what i want to encourage other individuals to do and i definitely applaud your efforts for having this platform for other individuals to have that mm, wow. because Thank you, you know as you mentioned earlier you know when i shared my story about being on academic probation right there's somebody out there that might strike a, a chord yes. and they're going to go out there and get help which is something I didn't do initially, right? Mm. So I think the more that we are able to share our stories, show our, not just our humanity, but certainly our vulnerability and show that, you know what, you can go through these challenges and have these obstacles in front of you and you can still overcome them, you know? And, and a lot of the times, one of the things that I've learned over my lifetime is that it's certainly okay to ask for help. And mm -hmm. more often than not, I have been. It took me a while to really realize that and open up and accept help and I think that's one of the blessings I've had is that I've always had supportive individuals whether it was family friends professors teachers counselors whoever that were there that when I was ready to accept their help and their support they were there so I think continuing in that route for other individuals you know it's something that I definitely want to continue to have 
Mm, I want to touch on something you just said. I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You said when you were ready to accept their help. What did that look like for you? Because there are still people who just, I can do this by myself. Let me do this by myself. How did you come to that? Well, I think it's for me was the realization that help can come from any place. And Mm. those individuals can look many different ways. And, you know, having grown up with this image of, you know, people that are going to help me are going to look like me. And my experience thus far Mm -hmm. is that some of the times, in my case, a lot of the times, individuals that helped me didn't always look like me. So being open to that and trusting that. And and if I may, after my my undergrad career, and, and I waited about three years, three and a half years before going back to grad school or before starting a master's program. And part of the reason I waited was because my undergrad career was not very stellar. And, you know, I knew that I was far below the requirements to a graduate program. So to kind of, you know, get my my feet wet, I approached an administrator at uh, my university that was overseeing the counseling program, Latino male, and overseeing the program at the time. And I said, look, I'd like to take one class to test it out. The university had this uh, open enrollment policy where you can take certain amount of classes and not go through the regular application process. People that wanted professional Uh development, things of that nature, right? So I knew there was a policy for it. So I went to this individual saying, look, I want to see if to prove to myself that I can do this work. And he said, no. And I was very surprised. I'm like, there's a policy, Hmm. you have space. And a lot in the back of my mind had to do with, you know, he was also a a Mexican, Mexican American male. And it was kind of naive on me. And it was kind of a wakeful call that, you know, people that look like you are not always going to help you. So fast forward, (laughs) you know, three years later, I was doing the outreach work. Right. And in my office, there was another young woman who had heard about this new program that the university was starting, a new master's program in uh, educational administration. He said, hey, they're going to have an informational session later today. You know, if you're interested, you should come. This young lady was was white and, you know, wonderful person. And, and, you know, we had a friendship. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll I'll show up. So I did. And similar to my undergrad career, you know, I was only one of a very few persons of color (laughs) in that informational meeting. So the two program chairs, you know, presented about the program and, and got me excited about it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know, you, you don't have the best academic record to, to get in here. And this you know, older gentleman, you know, white male, after the session, you know, I approached him, you know, he was one of the, the chairs of, of the program. And I was very honest. And uh, I'm like, you know what, I this is my academic record. I, I don't think, you know, I have to, I meet your criteria, you know, based on what you said. And uh, to this day, I still kind of get choked up thinking about it. But he said, you know, don't worry about it. Just apply. Very simply. And and I did. And I did apply. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, after the deadline and everything for, for application, you know, I I got the letter that I was accepted into the program. Mm. And, you know, that's how I started my master's program. You know, that this one gentleman, this one committee decided to give me a chance to be open at it and, and mm. you know I, being more focused you know being a little bit older obviously helped along with that but I think it was that that willingness and, and realization that help can come from anywhere mm. so being open to that you know I think in the long run can, can help us avoid some of the challenges and struggles that we might be in right if we're willing to just be that that more open and, and I'm sure more individuals are and some people might have learned that 
a lot earlier than I did, but that's part of kind of what laid the foundation for my future work. You know, I, I went to that master's program and it was a very intense program. It was an 11-month program. So there was 11 months I didn't have much of a social life. And it was a quite a contrast right. from my undergraduate career in that um, I graduated with honors, which is, you know, complete night and day from my undergrad experience. Straight A's, although I'm still a little bit bitter about this A minus that I got in one class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's an A, though. It's an A. You yeah, got the A. Hey, you got it's it. <laughs> but no, I, I think it, it's, again, going back to realization that I just kind of being open to those things. And I had to learn it in a different way and a little bit disappointed, right? But moving forth, and I think a lot of the advice, like you said earlier, something that you're given is just keep going. You know, keep going and, and be persistent. And I think as first gen, you know, that's kind of something that you're sort of anointed with for better or worse, mm. you know, because you have to get through, you know, you have to figure out the system on, on your own at the beginning, you know, if no one's there to help you, if you don't know where to get help and just kind of having that mentality. And now, you know, both you and I as, as entrepreneurs, it still kind of feels funny to me to say that, right? Yeah. But you figure it out as, as you go, right? And you get help and you reach out for resources and you recognize where your limitations might be and being open to accepting help from others. You know, the reason I, I found out about your, your podcast was through a friend of mine who I just met about a year ago. And she's been a great support. I, I call her Miss Flossom. So if she's listening, her name is Maricela Herrera works at uh, Arizona State University. She's been a great friend, great mentor, great coach. But again, she was very encouraging in, in my, you know, idea for Fly Socks, been, been very supportive and has been able to kind of provide that ongoing support, you know, that a lot of the friends and family as well are providing. So again, just accepting that, that help from different sources. Thank you for that. I don't know if I've ever really said this before that's what kind of skimming my brain like that have I said this I had a really awesome mentor professor dean when I was an undergrad who encouraged me to go to graduate school and who encouraged me to reach for the stars and was always very supportive but it wasn't until my master's program that other lights start to come on but there was a teacher and I'm a teacher professor actually an older white lady who at the time was living in Mississippi because we were in Mississippi. And she walked up to me one day in class and she said to me, I think you should apply for a doctorate. And I looked at her, <laughs> what do you mean? She's like, I really, I really think you should apply for a doctorate. And she didn't say it loud or make it obvious. She just tapped me on the shoulder and she said it. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, come by my office if you want to talk. And she'll never know how much that moment changed my life. So when I, I give her credit for tapping me on the shoulder, I don't think it's that I may have never gone because I did have people telling me to go, but she pushed me to do it and then stayed with me through that process. And my mentor from undergrad actually was really, you know, instrumental in helping me get everything squared away and, you know, writing me a recommendation and, you know, reading over papers for me. But it's interesting that, you know, you, like I said, you accept help, but also to not be resistant to the fact that there are other people who may not look like you who are willing to help you on this journey. Thank you for that reminder and for saying that because like yourself, I've had many times where maybe I assumed because mm -hmm. we look alike, right? You're supposed to, you know, oh, we, we here to help each other. Hold me down. And it's like, uh-uh. <laughs> what? You know, you just like everybody else kind of. So that's that's powerful that we don't get caught up in that mindset and then we keep ourselves open. So, so again, similar to her, I'm like, man, we're so much alike. <laughs> we have so much in common. Um, but that is, that is, thank you for that. Especially for those who are resistant or thinking that other people just want to see people of color down. No, 
that's not true. There are a lot of people who are, they just see people and they see good people and they see people with potential and they want to help them do better. That's what I believe. That's really cool. So we are at a point where we are having to wrap up. I really like talking to you. Um, you're so thoughtful and so reflective and, you know, just so honest, you know, about what you've experienced and you share what you've learned, which is, is equally important and helpful in this space. So just as we're departing, my good friend, what would you want to leave us with? What thoughts to carry with us for the rest of our lives? I think as a, as a first-gen individual, I think that's something I want to encourage others to do, you know, to kind of flaunt their flyness, if you will. You know, <laughs> okay, to, yeah. To talk about it, to, to be a mentor, to be a role model to others, and just kind of share that story because you never know who's waiting to, you know, kind of raise their hand as well and say, you know, I'm also first gen yes. and realizing, you know, that there are thousands of thousands of first gen professionals now, you know, in the workforce, you know, some just out of undergrad or graduate school, others in the field for decades. Right. So there's definitely a lot of great experience to be gleaned for that. And I think that if that's a common ground that we can find to be able to open up to other individuals. But I think it's just continuing to kind of share our stories. And we never know who's listening, never who's looking up to us, that we might be able to help and inspire a little bit more. So so own that first-gen identity, you know, continue to flaunt your flyness and, uh, you know, keep going. Absolutely, Cesar. Well, thank you so much, friend, for being here, for, for reaching out, for just all of the empowerment today and the enlightenment that you've brought. Thank you for that. Where on the internet can those who want to reach out to you find you? Well, my website is, is up. It's a landing page right now because like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be a web developer as well. So uh, flystocks.com, it's a landing page right now, but you can enter your email and once the online store opens, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to those on, on the uh, email list. Uh, social media, I do have a Facebook, which is also flysocks, you know, at the end, facebook.com slash flysocks and Instagram at flysocks as well. So all the social media handles that I have handles are all flysocks, but Twitter is not active yet, but it will be. Awesome. 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 Well, again, Cesar, thank you so much for your time today for just sharing. Thank you for being here, wishing you nothing but the best and everything that lies ahead of you. And, you know, just know that we in the first gen lounge. We're cheering for you and we've got your back. Great. Thank you for having me. Oh, gosh, you're so very welcome. Did you go mm, at any point during this session? If so, then go ahead and subscribe. Then uplift friends, colleagues and students by sharing the show. Also, don't miss out on exclusive insights that I only share via email by joining the First Gen family at www.thepurposeprofessor.com forward slash family. I know I said a whole lot, so I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. Now, until the next time, don't forget to be resilient, authentic, and intentional in all that you do. And no matter what, keep pressing forward.